0: From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, where we are constantly striving to penetrate the two cosmic extremes. We are your spiritually enlightened hosts, Taylor and Chelsea. That will pay off later in the episode, I promise. And today... We take a look at a group that has a lot to do with the world we currently inhabit. As well as some of the fringy topics, it's on the edge of a few episodes that we've done already. This will be a two-parter episode. If you only have time for one of the two, I would highly recommend the second half, just because if you only listen to the first half, you're going to get a very bad idea of what this whole topic is, because I'm doing the two extremes in the episodes.
1: Should I just meet you back in the second so episode? For those of you who are listening
0: now, you are obligated, yes, to listen to this episode and the next episode. For those of you who have not started listening to it and somehow can foresee this part of it, please only listen to the second episode. But Chelsea, today our topic is the Falun Gong. Have you ever heard of this? Nope. Okay
1: not one sweet idea. I actually have because you've said it, but I specifically didn't look into it and just ignored what you said completely.
0: Well, that's good because it left this episode completely open as a surprise. Chelsea, you've seen in parks groups of Chinese people doing their little flowy dances very nice and slowly.
1: Okay, hold on. There's a guy that does it like literally out in my courtyard every
0: day. So what they're practicing there is some sort of Chi exercise, which at the end of the day is what the Falun Gong is all about. I'm gonna start this off in a strange place, but I think this is backstory that needs to be included so that we can connect it to episodes that I've talked about something along these lines in the past. There is foreshadowing way back there in another episode, but I don't expect you to know it. For those of you who do catch on, it's really good payoff at the end here.
1: Okay, can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. When do I find out if I need to be suspicious of the guy that I see practicing these flowy movements next week. Oh, no. Is it good or bad?
0: I I really (laughs) couldn't tell you on this specific guy.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to be suspicious of him until I figure it out. And that's
0: the weird thing, because that form of exercise is not just part of this group. It has an entire cultural significance to Chinese people. Mm, Tai Chi is a thing Asians in general will practice, which is a form of exercises and movements to help the flow of chi throughout the body. Okay. And the entire grouping in itself is called qigong, or I believe that's the flow of energy is what it like directly translates to, or the wheel of energy. Okay. We're going to start in the late 70s. This article comes from a website called madeinchinajournal.com. I thought it gave a good summary, and the article is called On Ufology with Chinese Characteristics and the Fate of Chinese Socialism. I will begin by noting a specific discontinuity whose reality is absolutely indisputable. There was no public ufology in China before the reform period. And Chinese ufology and the reform period began at almost the exact same time. Chelsea, I don't expect you to know what the reform period is. Basically there was the Chinese revolution after World War II. There was a lot of cultural destruction because they basically got rid of the entire upper class of China. The reform period is bringing four modernizations. Industry, agriculture, military and science. And this is brought about by Deng Xiaoping. It's usually called Dengism, what Deng Xiaoping did during his time <laughs> and it's D-E-N-G. dot don't oh, get okay well <laughs> basically it was the we need to push these things forward they also really like to push chinese characteristics they talk about socialism with chinese characteristics a lot so the science that they're looking at sometimes is science with ancient chinese attachments as well so during the first wave of the major reforms and the deepening distribution of the problems associated with the four modernizations. The China UFO Enthusiast Liaison Office was established at Wuhan University on September 20th, 1979, and by 1980, it had grown considerably and became the China UFO Research Association, with branch organizations in several major cities. The following February began publishing the Journal of UFO Research, and by the mid-1980s had more than 40 branch organizations around the country and thousands of members. In and at this point, unrelated development. In 1981, the All-China Qigong Science Research Association, which is this movement of qi through the body that we were just talking about, was established under the All-China Association of Chinese Medicine for research and qigong practice with hundreds of member organizations. They call the Qigong Science Research Association the QSRA. It immediately became the central locus for paranormal research in China. Extrasensory perception, telekinesis, ghosts, and so on. Like, it all ended up falling under the idea of the Qigong Research Center.
1: That's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Basically, everything that you would consider, like, just kind of outside science falls under the idea of Qi flowing energy. Mm. The extraordinary powers that Qigong practice was supposed to engender, according to the QSRA, were not exactly coexistent with the domain of the paranormal, but in seeking to develop and theorize these powers, continuous reference was made to these fields of study and especially to scientific experiments in these areas in Western countries. Between 1986 and the early 1990s, the organization changed its name in minor ways and fell from time to time under the supervision of different ministries, and by 1993, it operated as a state-level social organization under the Ministry of Health and Civil Affairs. All of this occurred in exactly the period where the previously uncommon phrase with Chinese characteristics was driven into public discourse. After Deng Xiaoping had used the phrase socialism with Chinese characteristics in his opening speech at the 12th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party on September 1, 1982, it quickly became a central element in the discursive rearrangement that occurred through the 1980s around the problems associated with the dismantling of many of the social and economic modes of organization that had characterized the socialist development period, opening social life to new forms of knowledge and culture from the advanced capitalist countries, developing an advanced culture and economy, and so on. There's little doubt that this had a great deal to do with the end of official Chinese socialist internationalism and the redirecting of attention and desire towards the capitalist world, but the problem of Chinese characteristics also became an important site in which struggles over the legacy and worth of Chinese socialism would take place. By the early 1990s, then, the period immediately following the crushing of the 1989 social movement and the subsequent dismantling of the institutional and discursive resources that pertained to certain forms of protest against the process of reform, the broad project of combining Chinese traditions like Qigong and high-level science and technology in the interest of economic development was well established. And Chelsea, I don't know if you know what the 1989 social movement movement is talking about. It's the Tiananmen Square Massacre.
1: Oh, okay. I do know that. I didn't know that it went by that other name, though.
0: Especially in China, you really can't talk about it in specific terms.
1: Mm.
0: Just because it's a a significant movement against the government, and it's something they don't want to talk about. It intersected with and developed alongside the popular mass movement known as the Qigong Fever, which, among other things, charismatic Taoist masters would distribute their healing qi to their followers via electronically mediated speeches at rallies of thousands thousands or even tens of thousands of people, many of whom fell into collective trances or healed injuries or ailments. Traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, moxibustion, which I don't know what that is, and others had occupied a fairly stable and prestigious place in the apparatus of socialist public health since the 1950s, but recuperating the religious discourse it had developed with historically, and bringing it into relation with the fourth modernization as the QSRA did, created all kinds of new possibilities under the general problem of the organic combustion combination of Eastern Qigong culture with Western modern science. The condensation of previously and perhaps properly separate vocabularies and concepts into a single text would not, in and of itself, have seemed very strange within the terms of Qigong discourse in the 1990s. And the China UFO Research Association had been affiliated with the QSRA since 1988 as a second-level study society, and by this route had acquired legal standing as an organization, but this led to all all kinds of internal contradictions between the materialist ufologists and the Qigong tendency. This came to a head in the CURA's fourth National Congress in Beijing in May 1992, at which time many members became frustrated by the infiltration of pseudoscience, leading to the organization to reiterate its commitment to the dialectical materialist guiding principles. I really just wanted to bring in the idea of Qigong, Tai Chi, the movement of Qi, is inexorably linked to ufology in Chinese history, because it began being studied at the same time. And because of this, there's much more intermingling in Chinese cultural significance and its study between these two topics than you would see in most the rest of the world.
1: Can I just ask, is it because they're both technically fringy ideas?
0: Well, it's not only that they're linked because of that. They both began getting studied at the exact same time. So inexorably, you're going to end up with a different link than, say, something that's always been studied and something else popping up later on. Within a two-year period, these things are both being studied and they're put into the same faculty to be studied. Like, it's all under the topic of QSRA, the Qigong Research Society.
1: Okay, and so it's because they're just like not, they're kind of outskirts of things that they're kind of thrown into those. I wouldn't say it's because
0: they're outskirts. I think the big difference here is this is something that neither of these could be studied for a long time because they were outside of progression and specifically Chinese culture up until the 1970s had a real conflict with this past culture because they were always worried about an overthrow of the Communist Party of China. The cultural significance is is that wealth people have a connection to these things, to the past, and especially when you see a push for a conservative movement against socialism, it's usually a push to tradition. This being tradition, it was kind of forbidden to even be looked at. And when it was opened up, science was opened up as something that could be looked at. In the 70s, UFOs and Qigong are just allowed to be looked at, and then therefore connected.
1: Okay, I was gonna say, it's not because they're actually like, connected, connected.
0: Not necessarily. You could say there's a connection just because it's like the spiritual side side of it or the parrot. Yeah. The above normal top.
1: It's not because like a UFO beamed down and gave us Tai Chi.
0: I would say yes.
1: It did? Uh no,
0: I would say that you're right, nobody did that. Some Qigong groups definitely are not of that opinion.
1: Okay, I just wanted to make sure that the barrier of what we're looking at here with
0: yeah. their connection. And with okay. that all done, we need to take a look now at a man who we're going to be talking a lot about. His name is Li Hongzhi. You'll see a lot of people pronounce his name Li Hongzhi, but that is because most people who are saying his name don't have a background in reading pinyin. When you see a Chinese word, if you see a Z and an H, it makes a J sound. If you see an I after that, it makes an er sound or an U sound. So ju okay. Li Hongzhi is how we're going to say it from here on out. Okay? There, we all learned a little something about Chinese.
1: Oh, good. I just probably won't say it.
0: <laughs> you could just call him Li, because I call him Li basically okay, throughout okay. the I can do episode.
1: that, <laughs> I can pronounce Li correctly.
0: Li is born in the 50s. There's a bit of dispute about that. We will talk about it in the next episode. He comes on the scene. He claims to be tutored by a variety of Buddhist and Taoist masters who, according to his spiritual biography, imparted with him practice methods and moral philosophies that become, as we know it, Falun Gong. But that's not where we're going to start. We're not starting with Falun Gong. We're starting with just Li Hongzhi and his, his movement through life. 1970, Lee is working for the military on a horse farm in Northeast China, and in 1972, he works as a trumpet player with a division of the Provincial Forestry Police. He kind of disagrees with this. This is what the actual government's history of him is.
1: That is a super strange history with the government.
0: (laughs) In the early 1980s, because he was born during the Cultural Revolution, he didn't actually complete high school. So he completes high school through correspondence, just because that was the way to do it. And then Li began studying and observing a variety of Qigong disciplines, apparently in preparation for establishing and publicizing his own Qigong system. This is the mid-1980s. By 1985, the Chinese authorities create the national organization to oversee the great variety of Qigong disciplines that were proliferating across the country. And the China Qigong Scientific Research Society was established in 1985 and convened its first meeting in Beijing in 1986. The organization counted among its leadership several eminent members of the former members and former members of the Politburo and National People's Congress, as well as former ministries of health and education. And in 1989, Li begins private instruction of what becomes known as Falun Gong, to very select students. In 1982, he officially founds what he calls Falun Gong. Now, Falun Gong in Chinese means the wheel of law. Um, You will also see it called the Falun Dafa. I'm not really sure of the significance between the two names. I also don't know the translation of Falun Dafa. It's something to do with law because Gong means wheel. I don't know what Falun means. Falun Dafa, Falun Gong are interchangeable in my mind for what we're talking about here, okay? Okay. So Falun Gong, publicly founded in spring of 1992, and it's near the end of what's known as China's Qigong boom. It's a period which saw the proliferation of thousands of disciplines. Li Hongzhi and his Falun Gong became an instant star of the Qigong movement and were welcomed into the government-administered China Qigong Scientific Research Society. From 1992 to 1994, Li travels throughout China giving 54 lectures and seminars on the practices and beliefs of Falun Gong. Seminars typically lasted 8 to 10 days and attracted as many as 6,000 participants per class. The practice grew rapidly based on its purported efficacies in improving health and its moral and philosophical elements, which were more developed than those of other Qigong schools. And these are part of the teachings that I want to talk about in the first half of this two-part series. What are the teachings? So Falun Gong differentiates itself from Buddhist monistic traditions in that it places great importance on participants in the secular world. Falun Gong practitioners are required to maintain regular jobs and family lives, and to observe the laws of their respective governments, and are instructed to not distance themselves from society. An exception is made, of course, for Buddhists who are permitted to continue a monastic lifestyle while practicing Falun Gong. As a part of its emphasis on ethical behavior, Falun Gong's teachings prescribe a strict personal morality for practitioners with three key principles. They are jen, shan, and ren, which are truth, compassion, and forbearance. Those are the three fundamental words of Falun Gong.
1: What was the last one?
0: Forbearance. Kind of like an internal strictness.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: They are expected to do good deeds and conduct themselves with patience when encountering difficulties. For instance, Lee stipulates that a practitioner of Falun Gong must quote, not hit back when attacked, not talk back when insulted. End quote. In addition, they must also abandon negative thoughts and behaviors, such as greed, deception, jealousy. And the teachings contain injunctions against smoking and the consumption of alcohol, as these are considered addictions that are detrimental to health and mental clarity. Practitioners are also forbidden to kill living things, including animals, for the purposes of obtaining food. Though strangely enough, they are not required to adopt a vegetarian diet. I'm not quite sure how that works.
1: It just means they can't actually hunt for it, me? maybe?
0: No, this is one of the contradictions we'll talk about later on, but I think it's one of those things that we're not going to tell you to do something, but the rules don't really allow you to do other. Okay. Basically like, we're not going to say you can't eat meat, but you can't have things die to eat it. Okay. In addition to these things, practitioners of Falun Gong must abandon a variety of worldly attachments and desires. In the course of cultivating your practice, the students of Falun Gong aim to relinquish the pursuit of fame, monetary gain, sentimentality, and other entanglements. Li's teachings repeatedly emphasize the emptiness of material pursuits, although practitioners of Falun Gong are not encouraged to leave their jobs or rescue money. They are expected to give up the psychological attachment to these things, not the things themselves. Falun Gong doctrine also cancels against participation in political or social issues. We'll talk about that again later. Excessive interest in politics is viewed as an attachment to worldly power and influence, and Falun Gong aims for transcendence of such pursuits. According to Hu Ping, quote, Falun Gong deals only with purifying the individual through exercise and does not touch on social or national concerns. It has not suggested or even intimated a model for social change. Many religions pursue social reform to some extent, but there is no such tendency to see evident in Falun Gong, end quote. Okay. That's just give you a little idea of the philosophy behind all. Okay. At the end of the day, it is just movements, but there are technically it spreads a little more to kind of the overall lifestyle of somebody who's in Falun Gong. Does that make sense so far?
1: I mean, yeah, I'm curious to see where this is going.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> With that, we're going to kind of continue on that timeline. May 13th of 1992, Li begins public teachings of these philosophies of Falun Gong at the Number 5 Middle School in Chengchun, Jilin Province, lecturing to a crowd of several hundred. The seminar ran for nine days at a cost of 30 yuan per person. In June, Li is invited by the Chinese Qigong Scientific Research Society to lecture in Beijing. In September, Falun Gong is recognized as a Qigong branch under the administration of the state-run China Qigong Scientific Research Society, and Li is formally declared a Master of Qigong by the CQRS, the China Qigong Research Society.
1: Right, 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 yes
0: and he receives a permit to teach Qigong nationwide. Li and several Falun Gong students participate in the 1992 Asia Health Expo in Beijing from December 12th to 21st, and the organizer of the health fair remarked that Falun Gong and Li, quote, received the most praise of any Qigong school at the fair and received very good therapeutic results, end quote. The event helped cement Li's popularity in the Qigong world, and journalistic reports of Falun Gong's healing powers spread. By the end of the year, Li had given given five week-long lecture seminars in Beijing, four in Chengchun, and one in Taiyun and one in Shandong. In 1993, the first major instructional text by Li Hongzhi is published by Military Yiwen Press in April. The book sets forth an explanation of Falun Gong's basic cosmology, moral system, and exercises. A revised edition is released in December of the same year. In the spring and summer of 1993, a series of glowing articles appear in Qigong magazines nationwide, lauding the benefits of Falun Gong. Several feature images of Li Hongzhi on the cover, and argued the superiority of the Falun Gong system. The Falun Xiaolian Dafa Research Society is established as a branch of the Chinese Qigong Research Society on July 30th of this year. In August, an organization under the Ministry of Public Security sends a letter to the CQRS thanking Li Hongzhi for providing his teachings to police officers injured in the line of duty, and the letter claimed that of the hundreds of officers treated by Li, only one failed to experience obvious improvement in their health. So there's a real big link between the government as a whole and Falun Gong. I'm
1: I'm noticing that. (laughs)
0: Lee is literally helping the police do this. And they are pushing it harder.
1: Not only that, but they gave him a permit, correct?
0: Yeah, to practice this as a whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything seems on the up and up for Lee right
0: now. Everything seems like it's on the up and up for Lee. There's a real good relationship between him and the government. Like, they're pushing it. Everything is going great. They're putting him in with the police precincts to help people who are injured in the job. On September 21st of 93, the People's Public Security Daily, a publication of the Ministry of Public Security, commenced Falun Gong for, quote, promoting the traditional crime-fighting virtues of the Chinese people, in safeguarding social orders and security, and in promoting rectitude in society." Li again participates in the Asia Health Expo in Beijing from December 11th to 20th, this time as a member of the Organization Committee. He wins several awards at the event and is proclaimed as, quote, the most acclaimed Qigong master. Falun Gong also received the, quote, Special Gold Award and Award for Advancing Frontier Science, end quote. In 1994, the Jilin Province of Qigong Science Research Association proclaims Li Hongzhi as a Grand Master of Qigong, and Li gives two lectures On Falun Gong at the Public Security University in Beijing, and contributes profits from the seminars to a foundation for injured police officers. On August 3rd, the city of Houston, Texas, declares Li Hongzhi as an Honorary citizen for his unselfish public service for the benefit and welfare of mankind, and As revenue from his sales of his publications grew, Li ceased to charge fees for his classes and thereafter insists that Falun Gong must be taught free of charge. The last full seminar Falun Gong practice and philosophy takes place from December 21st to 29th of December in the city of Guangzhou in 1994. In 1995, The Complete teachings of Falun Gong is published in January by the China Television Broadcasting Agency Publishing Company. A publication ceremony is held in the Ministry of Public Security auditorium on January 3rd. Fourth In February, Li is approached by the Chinese National Sports Committee, Ministry of Public Health, and the CQSRA to jointly establish a Falun Gong Association. However, Li declines this offer. This is where things start to change. Official attitudes towards the Qigong movement within some segments of the government began to change as criticisms of Qigong begin to appear in the state-run press. From here, Li announces that he was finished teaching his practices in China, and Li Hongzhi begins teaching his practices in Europe, Oceania, North America, and Southeast Asia. In 1998, Li relocates permanently to the United States. As the practice continues to grow within China, tensions emerge between Falun Gong and Chinese authorities. In 1996, Falun Gong withdraws from the China Qigong Scientific Research Society, and thereafter finds itself the subject of growing scrutiny and criticism in the state-run press. The practice becomes a subject of high-level debates within the government and CCP, with some ministries and government authorities expressing continued support for the practices and others becoming increasingly wary of the group.
1: Because it withdraws from this paranormal research society
0: there were criticisms before the withdrawal and i'm going to be perfectly honest we'll never get a full answer as to what happens between him being asked to like start a qigong sports research facility and there being a withdrawal from chinese life okay neither party will give you a straight answer
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I can accept
0: that. The tension also plays out in the media as some outlets continue to laud the effects of Falun Gong, while others criticize it as pseudoscience. Tensions continue to escalate over this period, culminating in a demonstration, which we'll talk about later on here. So that's just to give you an overview of this next little bit. 1996, the book Juan Falun is listed as a bestseller by Beijing Youth Daily in January, March, and April. Falun Gong files for withdrawal from the China Qigong Research Society in March of 96, and Li later explains that he had found the state-run CQRS to be more concerned with profiting from Qigong than engaging in genuine research. Li had also apparently rejected a new CQRS policy that mandated all Qigong practices created CCP branches within their organization. Falun Gong is left entirely without government oversight or sanctions at this point. At Li's direction, administrators of the Falun Gong Research Association of China apply for registration with three other government organizations, including the Buddhist Association of China and the United Front Work Department. All applications are denied, though. The first major state-run media article criticizing Falun Gong appears in the Guangming Daily newspaper on June 17th of 1996. The article writes that Falun Gong represents a manifestation of feudal superstition, and that its core text, Zhuang Falun is a work of, quote, pseudoscience that swindles the masses. Falun Gong practitioners responded to the article's publication with a letter-writing campaign to the newspaper and the National Qigong Association. Several Buddhist journals and magazines start to write articles criticizing Falun Gong as a heretical sect as well at this time, and on July 24th, Falun Gong books are banned from further publication by the China News Publishing Bureau, a branch of the CCP party. The reason cited for the ban is that Falun Gong is spreading superstition. Pirated and copied versions, however, of the Falun Gong books proliferate with Li Hongzhi's approval. Li begins another lecture tour in the summer of 96, traveling to Hong Kong, Sydney, Bangkok, Houston, New York, and Beijing. And the China Qigong Scientific Research Society issues a resolution on the cancellation of Falun Gong's membership with the society. The resolution stated that although practitioners of Falun Gong had, quote, attained unparalleled results in terms of fitness and disease prevention, end quote, (laughs) Li Hongzhi... Propagated theology and superstition and failed to attend association meetings and departed from the association's procedure. That's 96. 97 comes around. I love
1: that statement. I know you guys are getting excellent results, but the guy is not good. But he's, he's not showing good. up. <laughs> yeah. Excellent results aside...
0: The Ministry of Public Security launches an investigation in 1997 into whether Falun Gong should be deemed Xie Jiao, which is a heretical religion. And the report concludes that no evidence has appeared thus far. From 1997 to 99, criticism of Falun Gong escalates in state-run media. With the encouragement of Li, Falun Gong practitioners respond to criticism by peacefully petitioning outside media offices seeking redress against the perceived unfair reporting. The tactic succeeds frequently, often resulting in the retraction of critical articles and apologies from the news organizations. Not all media coverage, however, was negative in this period, and articles continued to appear highlighting Falun Gong's health benefits. And this is a weird little middle area where there's a little bit of criticism that's starting to come out in the media. And Lee tells people, go protest outside of these places. Do it peacefully, but you'll have tens of thousands of people sitting outside of like a news station. Just sitting there for a days on end because they wrote something bad about this group. On January 13th of 1998, the Chinese Buddhist Association held a meeting on how to react to Falun Gong, and on July 21st of the same year, the Ministry of Public Security issues document number 555, which is, quote, notice of the investigation of Falun Gong, end quote. The document asserts that Falun Gong is an evil religion and mandates that another investigation be launched to seek evidence of this conclusion. Security agencies began monitoring and collecting personal information on practitioners. Falun Gong sources reported authorities were tapping phone lines, harassing and tailing practitioners, and ransacking homes, and closing down Falun Gong meditation sessions. According to Falun Gong sources, Chao Xie, the former chairman of the National People's Congress, led his own investigation to Falun Gong, concluded that Falun Gong has hundreds of benefits for the Chinese people and China, and does not have one single bad effect.
1: I mean, it sounds like it to me so far.
0: I would really like to stress the beginning of that sentence, though. According to Falun Gong sources, Chao Xie said this.
1: The Chinese government also said that it had excellent results.
0: Yes. <laughs> China's National Sports Commission launches its own investigation of May of 98, and the commission's medical professionals conduct interviews of over 12,000 Falun Gong practitioners in Guangdong province. 97.9% of the respondents say Falun Gong improved their health.
1: I don't understand what the problem is here right now. <laughs> Everyone's...
0: I would also like to emphasize the question is do you think Falun Gong has improved your health
1: yeah
0: there's not actually like any research into it it's just them asking them
1: yeah I mean they're as good as judge as any
0: and by October, the investigation concludes noting, quote, "...we're convinced that the exercises and effects of Falun Gong are excellent, it has done an extraordinary amount to improve society's stability and ethics, and this should be duly affirmed," end quote.
1: I'm convinced.
0: At this time, the state sports commission suggests that upwards of 60 to 70 million people are practicing Falun Gong in China.
1: Holy crap, wow. He already has China. That's why he leaves. He needs to go find more.
0: Well, and there's plenty of people that will spread it on his behalf there as well. Yeah. 1999, Li jer continues to teach Falun Gong internationally with occasional stops in China. And by early 1999, Li had lectured in Sydney, Bangkok, San Francisco, LA, Hong Kong, Taipei, Frankfurt, Toronto, Singapore, Geneva, Houston, and New York, as well as in Changchun and Beijing. Wu Xiaozu, an official from China's National Sports Commission, says in an interview with US and World. Reports on February 14th that as many as 100 million people may have taken up Falun Gong and other forms of Qigong. Wu notes that the popularity of Falun Gong dramatically reduces healthcare costs, and, quote, Premier Zhu Rongji is very happy about that, end quote.
1: Yeah, that's just another tick in the column for. Good.
0: How great Alamgong
1: It's yeah. doing pretty good
0: things at yeah. this point. In April, <laughs> physicist Hezhuo Xiu from the Chinese Academy of Sciences publishes an article in Tianjin Normal University's Youth Reader. Sorry. That's Wait, a Christ. great name for university. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta love translations. Yeah, the Tianjin Normal University.
1: <laughs> okay, I love that.
0: He publishes an article criticizing Falun Gong as superstitious and potentially harmful for youth and stating he knew someone who died because of it. At that time, some countries near China had people practicing like Vietnam. Tianjin Falun Gong practitioners respond to this article by peacefully petitioning in front of the editorial offices and the editors initially agreed to publish a retraction of this article.
1: Wait, okay, first of all, They're publishing a retraction because there's a protest there, right? Yeah. And there's probably just so many people there. Second, someone died?
0: He says somebody died practicing it. Yes.
1: Okay. Ah, okay. (laughs) Indeed.
0: On April 23rd, some 300 security forces are called in to break up the ongoing Falun Gong demonstrations. 45 Falun Gong practitioners are beaten and detained. Which, at the end of the day, is actually a fairly... I don't want to downplay it, but this is a controlled response. Like compared to what happened 10 years prior to people protesting.
1: Huh, okay, yeah. You know, I was just thinking the same thing. If they wanted to shut it down, like, proper, they probably could have. They had the power to.
0: They called in 300 security forces. It was a peaceful protest. So was Tiananmen Square at the time, though.
1: They're probably thinking how many people are in this thing now if they're wanting to shut it down and they're protesting everything.
0: In response to this, Falun Gong practitioners petition Tianjin City Hall for the release of the detained practitioners. They are reportedly told, that the order to break up the crowd and detain protesters came from the central authorities in Beijing and that further appeals should be directed at Beijing. April 25th, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 Falun Gong practitioners quietly assemble outside the central appeals office adjacent to the Zhongnanhai leadership compound in Beijing. Five Falun Gong representatives meet with Premier Zhu Rongji to request official recognition and an end to the escalating harassment against the group. Zhu agrees to release the Tianjin practitioners and assures the representatives that the government does not oppose Falun Gong. The same day however, Jian Zemin issues a letter stating his intentions to suppress the practice. On April 26th, Jian Zemin convenes a meeting of the Politburo Standing Committee to discuss the Falun Gong demonstration. Some Politburo members reportedly favored a conciliatory position towards Falun Gong, while others, such as Jiang and the security leader, Luo Gan, favored a decisive suppression of the group. Authorities start to increase the surveillance of Falun Gong from here, tapping telephones of practitioners and monitoring practitioners in several cities. I would like to emphasize this is information provided by Falun Gong, one party in this, not the Chinese Communist Party.
1: May I please interject and ask a question? Yes. Am I missing so- Like, what happened here? that they want to shut it down so much
0: we will never get a straight answer both parties will have to. I did their ask that, reason. didn't
1: I? You yes. already told me this. Yeah. I'm very confused as to why this We is will happening. never know
0: for sure why this happens. We can only speculate, and the speculation will happen in the second episode.
1: Okay, okay. I just keep coming around to why do we hate the Falun Gong, and we just don't it know. It seems
0: like out of nowhere, right? It's just like, yeah. yeah, everybody's getting along great. And then, nope, nope, some bad articles, protests. We're going to crack yeah. down okay. on the protests. The I was leader like, leaves the really country. Tree. I really
1: feel like I'm missing some sort of information, but I'm not. And I'm gonna nope. I might ask it again, because I did ask it already. It just makes me more curious about it. Do they not know that? <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. Okay. That's not satisfying, but okay.
0: May 2nd, 1999, Lee Hongzhi gives a press conference to journalists in Sydney, Australia. When asked by a reporter whether he believed the government would kill or imprison his disciples to maintain social order, Lee responds that, quote, Belongong practitioners will never go against the law. In terms of the scenario you describe, I don't think it will happen since the economic reform and opening up of the Chinese government has been quite tolerant in this respect. End quote.
1: Right, that's what they're known for. Through May
0: and June of this year, just as preparations are quietly underway for a crackdown, Falun Gong practitioners continue their public meditation sessions. The Far Eastern Economic Review wrote, quote, In a park in western Beijing, 100 or so Falun Gong practitioners exercise under a bold yellow banner proclaiming their affiliation. They are far from running scared. End quote. On June 2nd, Li purchased space in several Hong Kong newspapers to publish an article defending Falun Gong and urging Chinese leaders not to quote, risk universal condemnation and waste manpower and capital, end quote, by antagonizing the group. On the 3rd of June, 70,000 practitioners from Jilin and Liaoning traveled to Beijing in an attempt to appeal to authorities. They are intercepted by security forces and sent home and placed under surveillance. On June 7, 1999, Jiang Zemin convened a meeting of the Politburo to address the Falun Gong issue. In the meeting, Jiang described Falun Gong as a grave threat to CCP authorities, quote, something unprecedented in the country since its founding 50 years ago, end quote, and ordered the creation of a special leading group within the party's central committee to, quote, get fully prepared for the work of disintegrating the Falun Gong, end quote. On June 10th, the 6 10 office was formed to handle day to day coordination of anti Falun Gong campaign, and Luo Gan was selected to helm the office, whose mission at the time was described as studying, investigating, and developing a unified approach to resolve the Falun Gong problem. The office was not created with any legislation, and there are no provisions describing its precise mandate. On June 17, 1999, Jiang Zeming declared in a Politburo meeting that Falun Gong is, quote, the most serious political incident since the June 4th fourth political disturbance in 1989 the 610 office came under the newly created central leading group for dealing with Falun gong headed by li lan ching both Li and Luo were members of the Politburo Standing Committee, and the four other deputy directors of the central leading group also held high-level positions in the CCP, including ministers of the propaganda department. On June 26 of 1999, 13 Falun Gong exercise sites in public parks are shut down by Beijing Security Council, and that's basically where it's outlawed. From here onwards, I'm going to go to a description of what takes place. This comes from a website called the Friends of Falun Gong. So I just want to emphasize, this is going to be a very one-sided view of what takes place from June 26th onwards to today. The CCP's persecution of Falun Gong is a comprehensive nationwide effort that encompasses many different forms of cruelty and inhumanity. Whether in an attempt to get Falun Gong practitioners to renounce their beliefs or to simply intimidate and attack them, the harshest and most painful forms of torture have been employed. The scope of the torture is very large and the number of cases documented by the government and human rights organizations is well into the tens of thousands. The U.S. Department of State, Amnesty International, the United Nations, Human Rights Watch, and other sources and investigations all corroborate the basic facts about the CCP's widespread torture of Falun Gong practitioners. Countless first-hand accounts of torture have also been recorded. Some of the most common forms of torture involve beating, shocking with electric batons, piercing with sharp objects, often under fingernails, sleep deprivation, injections with toxic substances, being physically restrained in painful positions, and being submerged in sewage in a dark chamber.
1: What? Is Falun Gong the bad guys in this story?
0: So far as this episode has led us to believe, no, they are without reason being persecuted. That makes
1: me think we might learn new information on the next one. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my thoughts. They're not organizing well here.
0: I get that, and to be fair, this first episode is to give one particular (laughs) viewpoint of what the Falun Gong is and its history, and to give the history. Financial incentives are used to extract confessions and encourage the renunciation of the practices from Falun Gong prisoners. When the torture of Falun Gong practitioners is taken too far, it can lead to the death of the victim. The communist regime will often involve family members as part of the torture. Sometimes they will get family members cooperate by getting them to beg and plead with the victims to sign confessions or to give up their beliefs. It can also involve threatening and attacking loved ones or even torturing them in the presence of the victim. The CCP has killed numerous Falun Gong practitioners. It is very very difficult to access the information needed to determine how many have been killed because the information is highly protected by the CCP regime, and people responsible for the killing try and keep it a secret. Frequently, relatives are told that their loved ones have committed suicide or died from an accident or illness, but that bodies of the victims are cremated before they can be examined for evidence. Of the cases that have been verified, an unusually high percentage are people who died of their injuries shortly after being released from prison. As of May 2015, there are over 3,500 cases of this confirmed. Two separate independent investigations about organ harvesting of Falun Gong prisoners concluded that over 60,000 Falun Gong practitioners were killed in the process of extracting their organs for transplants, and that only encompassed the period between 2000 and 2008. These numbers are including the number of confirmed deaths since the bodies are not available for examination. One of the most common forms of persecution is putting practitioners in prison. The CCP does not follow any rule of law and it can simply imprison Falun Gong practitioners at will without trial. Practitioners are routinely denied access to lawyers or the lawyers may face their own persecution if they have the courage to represent the practitioners. Whether it is prisons, labor camps or brainwashing centers, hundreds of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners are estimated to be imprisoned at any given time and millions have faced prison over the course of their persecution. Various forms of detention facilities are used to hold and carry out abuses against practitioners, and these are the locations where the torture, brainwashing, rape, forced slave labor, and other forms of abuse have been carried out. One of the apparent goals of the CCP in their persecution of Falun Gong practitioners is to give up their beliefs. This put the practitioners in a dilemma, where they are greatly encouraged to either give up their beliefs or lie and say that they have given up their beliefs. However, lying goes against the principles of Falun Gong, so many practitioners resist to give in. If they are forced under pressure to sign a statement slandering Falun Gong and promising not to practice, they can be rewarded by reducing their sentence, receiving better treatment, or better treatment for their families, as examples. The prisoners who sign the statements are then often forced to transform other prisoners. If the prisoners refuse to sign the statement, then they can be threatened with additional punishment, such as extended sentences, torture, or mistreatment of their family members. The method of brainwashing range from threats and cruelty to slander and forced study sessions. The prisoners are forced to watch videos or listen to recordings of material produced by the CCP intended to slander the Falun Gong, using any means of lying and deception to make their points. This is similar to the propaganda produced by the state-controlled media that is designed to attack Falun Gong with lies and slander and co-opt the general populace into supporting their vicious campaign. Another form of abuse the CCP carries out against Falun Gong practitioners is to fire them, from their jobs, refuse to pay them for their work or pensions, or simply steal from them. Many times when the Falun Gong practitioners are arrested, the police simply take and keep their belongings, including very expensive or difficult to replace items such as computers, printers, bank cards, and IDs. Other times, practitioners are fired from their jobs simply because of their beliefs, or their companies refuse to pay their salaries or their pension. Frequently, practitioners become homeless and destitute because they fled from their homes in an attempt to escape persecution. The CCP has integrated this slander and propaganda into all levels of school curricula so that children are indoctrinated with hatred towards Falun Gong. In addition, students are forced to agree with the slanderous answers in order to pass exams, including exams required to get into college. Therefore, students who refuse to answer questions in a way that violates their beliefs can be denied the chance to advance in schools or receive the education they would otherwise have access to. Everyone taking the exam is forced to choose to agree with the CCP propaganda against Falun Gong in writing or lose points on their exam. The majority of citizens in Western nations think of China as a nation that supplies cheap labor for a myriad of manufactured products. This narrative about China takes up more of the attention out of the mainstream media. And people who know more about the history of the CCP remember that they are carrying out brutal genocidal campaigns since they took control of the nation in 1949. Whether it was by the landowners, the business owners, religious leaders, intellectuals, or democracy activists, the CCP has engaged in systematic assaults on its own people that result in the murders of tens of millions of people as a matter of state policy. Just because this tendency has become less active since its peak in the 70s during the Great Cultural Revolution does not mean it had left the DNA of the CCP. The regime's capacity for suppression and violence came alive again during the student democracy protests in 1989, and it remains a threatening subliminal undercurrent hidden in the minds and hearts of the Chinese people, many of whom witnessed the violence or heard stories of it from their family members. Indeed, Jiang Zeming, the main architect of the persecution against Falun Gong, was one of the leaders that directly ran the campaign in 1989. Since the CCP came to power through a revolution rather than an election, it always has to face the fact that it does not have the support, approval, or legitimacy of mainland China. This undercurrent can be found throughout the propaganda efforts of the CCP. The CCP uses censorship and its great firewall to make sure Chinese citizens don't have access to any information that it cannot control. This alone proves that the CCP fears its own citizens, and it knows that it is not legitimate. Therefore, no powerful group or groups that could potentially become powerful are allowed to exist inside of china that are not directly overseen by the ccp to this day the ccp does not allow any larger powerful group to exist within china without being directly in control of it and it has never allowed anything close to a political competitor and that is why it says falun gong believes it became too powerful and the ccp perceived it as a threat
1: yeah that's what i gathered from that very last sentence
0: and that's i think where i'm gonna kind of cut it off here It is still very persecuted in China. Um, Li Hongzhi is still very much so alive. He lives in New York State. Falun Gong is practiced worldwide. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about some of the things that got a little overlooked in this episode.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes because I'm assuming you took the viewpoint of Falun Gong on this.
0: A little bit of the viewpoint of Falun Gong. And we're going to take a look at the negative side of Falun Gong Episode.
1: Okay, I feel like that's what I'm missing, so I'm looking forward to that. Especially since this episode was not required because people were told to <laughs> skip to
0: the next. One. Unless they started this episode.
1: In <laughs> yeah. which goes, why would they even know to skip to the next one? Okay, I'm excited because I feel a little lost right now.
0: And I should also say, because the Qigong Institute also had the interaction of the UFO group. Like it's under the same heading of the government. Banning of Falun Gong also leads to basically a banning of ufology.
1: But didn't they leave that group?
0: They did. And we're going to get into why Falun Gong being persecuted in the next episode led to a banning of UFO research.
1: Okay. I'm assuming it'll all come together for me. It will make episode. a lot
0: more sense in the yes. next episode.
1: Okay. I'm baking on it. But for
0: now, do not take this all as there's nothing wrong with the Falun Gong. They're being persecuted for no reason. The next episode will make a lot of sense of the things that are missing from this episode.
1: No, I feel like there's definitely some gaps.
0: Okay, until that time, I have been Taylor here with Chelsea. Yeah. We are Journey to the Fringe. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, no, there's one more thing I wanted to add before we end this episode. Chelsea, I need you to go to the general chat because remember, Falun Gong is based off of Qigong, and Falun Gong has five specific movements for Qigong. Flow. Oh,
1: there they are. And
0: Chelsea, I want you to look at them and I want you to tell me the names of them starting in the bottom middle.
1: Felon Standing Stance.
0: Let's go up to the top left.
1: Galun heavenly circulation.
0: The bottom left.
1: Buddha showing a thousand hands.
0: The top right, which is the only sitting position.
1: Strengthening divine powers.
0: And the bottom right.
1: Penetrating the two cosmic extremes. Yes. Wow, that's a powerful stance. And
0: those last two movements with very strange names are definitely going to allude to a lot of the things that get talked about in the next episode.
1: Okay. So i
0: think this is a good way to leave it off just because this starts to show some of the things and also i got the payoff of my intro with that
1: exactly and that now we just actually end it right here
0: okay sounds good bye thank you for listening to journey to the fringe if you have liked what you have listened to please like share subscribe or follow depending on what